0: welcome to strata stories my name is thomas schreiber and i'm the director of marketing here at strata strata is a single emr platform and revenue cycle management service for physical occupational and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99 percent reimbursement rate on today's episode paul singh the ceo of strata talks with tony maritato a physical therapist and the founder of total therapy solutions Paul and Tony talk through why your PT practice must think of itself as a media company, how to start creating content, and the importance of building an incredible brand for your clinic. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com Now, without further delay, here's today's episode.
1: Give me like the 50,000 foot overview of kind of your practice and how you're thinking about content today because i from the outside it's really fascinating and i have a couple questions for you but let me let me start with what is the practice today and like what's how do you think about your business today
2: yeah let me let me give a brief origin story just for the people that don't know me so technically my name's anthony maritato but i go by tony so please call me tony I've been an entrepreneur at heart since birth. You know, I was that kid in the neighborhood that would do anything to turn effort or products into money. I just love the idea of business. I was nine years old selling fireworks. I was 12 years old walking dogs. Like I would do whatever it needed. And so going through high school in South Florida, I mean, it was an amazing life. I could fish, I could swim, I could do everything. And I grew up down in Sarasota, Florida on Siesta Key, but... I knew that I wanted to be in business. So once I got through high school, real quick, I, I did a, what, a semester at a community college, failed everything. I hated it. I needed to go in business. And my first real business was actually owning a landscaping nursery plant store. Knew nothing about it. Never raised a plant, never watered a plant, but (laughs) I came into this business. It was an existing business, my family owned the property, and one employee stayed on and taught me everything about the business. And if I took one thing out of that, it was, I don't wanna plant shrubs in the middle of South Florida in June and July. So, got out of there, went to college, got a bachelor's degree. I was doing martial arts for a decade, loved martial arts, loved coaching, loved teaching, got a degree in kinesiology, and went and got a job at a local hospital. That's where I was introduced to physical therapy, and I was like, I love the business of physical therapy. This is like the perfect medium where I could bring all of my skills, my assets, my communication into a business that actually helps individuals on a human level. And like a lot of people who are going to probably watch this show, I was really good at what I did. Like patients would come in, even though I wasn't a therapist, and they'd ask to work with me because I could relate to them. I could communicate with them. And we all know that that therapy is about communication more than anything else. The best clinician can't do a good job if they can't communicate. And so I talked to the director of rehab at the time. And I said, Scott, Scott was one of my heroes. I said, how do I open a physical therapy clinic? I know I'm not a physical therapist. I know that I need to go back to school and all these things, but I want to own a therapy clinic. And he was like, well, Tony, is what you do. You first get your degree, then you go and you get a job, then you work for five years, then you get to know all the local orthopedics and surgeons, and then you go on your own. I was like, are you kidding? That's like 10 years away. There's no way I'm gonna wait 10 years. So within a year of getting a job at the hospital, I quit. I saved all my money. I opened a little personal training studio on Siesta Key. I recruited a physical therapist who was an amazing physical therapist that worked for the hospital. I begged her to come work with me. She was on a travel assignment. She was ready to go to Turkey. And I said, just give me three months. Let's get this off the ground. All of my personal training clients really need physical therapy. They don't need personal training. Long story short, she's my wife now. We've run the business. We grew to five locations across two states. My entrepreneurial drive is really what brought me into the world of therapy. But I tell everybody everything I do is about protecting the passion I have for therapy. And separately, I run the business. I run the business for my family, for financial security, for something that's going to persist long beyond me. But the business allows me to be the clinician that I want to be. And I'm not a clinician every day, and it's not my primary focus, it's my passion. But through all of that, and we'll get to it, that's where I got introduced to Kim and to Adam and their amazing people and all the things that they did. And we we wouldn't be anywhere where we are today without them. So knowing that story, take me where you want to go. What kind of information would you like from there?
1: You know, one of the things I think it's fascinating is that you're describing your business different than how most practice owners would describe their business. And for me as an outsider, you know, for anybody listening right now, this is the first time I've met you. I've, I've, I have I've, feel like you're the same guy I've run into on YouTube. I see your videos and things like that, right? So, so this is the first time we're chatting. But one of the things I think is really different about what you're doing, as far as I can tell from the outside, is that in addition to running your practice, you're creating content. And again, I don't mean to sound like some creep that's been following you on the web, but, you know, as I was was doing my homework here, I would classify two particular things I find fascinating that I'm curious how you think about. First is you're publishing a lot of content on YouTube. And the second thing is you seem to be creating online tools. Like, you know, for example, there's the Learn billing sort of course that, that, that I saw. I, I want to like let you speak to it. I don't want to steal the name here, so I'll let you speak to it. But you've also like kind of built directories and you're sort of, if I was just talking about you as if you're not in the room as an investor, like I do a lot of investing in startups and stuff like that, you exude all of the, the tinkering, and I say that respectfully, that curious entrepreneurs have. So I'm curious, like in the context of running your practice and w- what you just described, You've got this content creation piece and this code piece that is clear. Anybody that Googles Anthony Maritato or Tony Martel, you're going to see all those links. So I'm just curious how that all ties together. I have a feeling it, has, it stems from your curiosity and maybe some of your professional impatience that you've kind of hinted at, but I'd love to hear it from the horse's mouth. How do you think about that? What, how are you thinking about your YouTube content, the code that you're putting out there, the websites and all that? How does that all fit together with your, with your practice?
2: I was listening to you talk to Jamie Schreier earlier this morning. And one of the things Jamie said is he's a lifetime learner and I'm the same way. And I think you see that in a lot of creatives, you know, I'm a creative at heart. I was originally supposed to go to the museum school in Boston for my bachelor's degree in fine arts. I came from a fine arts background. My family are all creatives. And so I look at everything that I do as I love the creative process. I'm more focused on the process than the profits. And so 20 years ago, 22 years ago, when we started our business, we didn't have the tools, the technology that we have today. So as technology developed, I made my first website back in 2003 on Microsoft Office uh, front page. And like I was teaching myself Adobe Photoshop back then, you know, and I've just... I've seen these cycles in my life, looking at it as an outside observer. And I realized that I kind of go through these four-year cycles where I try something, maybe the technology is not ready for me to achieve what I want, and then I come back to it. I wanted to do a directory for the profession back in 2006. The technology wasn't there. I wasn't a coder. I had created my own EMR back in like 2010, 11, when we brought our billing in-house just using Visual Basic and Microsoft Access. I'm not a coder, but Google had come along enough that I could grab snippets of Visual Basic code and get the software to do what I wanted it to do. So all of my life, I love the creative process. I love tinkering, like you said, and my passion is creating something out of nothing. Whether that turns into a dollar or just enjoyment, I don't care. I'll fail a million times to get one success, but that one success for me makes it worth the 999,000 failures that I went through to get there. And so whether it be therapy, we started with a single location. We grew to three in Florida. We opened two in Ohio we weren't business owners when we started the therapy business and like most of your listeners we were great clinicians but we didn't know how to run a business so then we learned how to run a business we took weeks months we put time in we were like what's an organizational chart how do we use this how do i make policies and procedures and we went through that whole experience that took probably a year or two but then all of a sudden when we were done we had a business that wasn't just my wife and I wearing every hat. We had structure and we could step away from it. And we knew that we could sell that at some point and it had residual value, but that became a platform for us to do other things. So I tried the directory, it failed. I tried it again a couple of years later, it failed again. But now the technology is there that I'm like, oh, APTA has Choose PT. They're getting half a million page views a month. I think I can do a comparable job and I can specialize on the topics that I think are important. I'm gonna do my directory and I'm gonna do these other things that help the profession move forward. But more than anything, it just gives me that creative outlet. You know, even if it never turned into anything, it gives me the personal joy of knowing, hey, I did something. And that's the way I approach patient care. I have done a full 180 with the stuff that I used to do back as like my kinesiology undergrad background, my heavy biomechanics. When I'd see a patient in the clinic, I thought I knew everything that they needed from a biomechanical perspective. And now with the new information on pain science, with leaders in the profession like Laura Mosley, all of these guys that are out there, I'm like... I don't know anything about what I thought I knew, but that's okay. I'm gonna create a solution for my patients that are in pain, that are fearful, that are anxious, that's gonna improve the patient experience. Again, Justin Stiver, he was talking about the patient experience. It's the same thing. It's like, how do I solve the problem? And I don't care if it fits the narrative of, well, it's physical therapy or it's medical or it's non-medical. I just wanna solve the problem. And if I can find that solution, that's what I'm gonna go after.
1: You made a comment there about um, I forget exactly how you said it, but you talked about, you know, it's not about profit first or revenue first. It's about your curious your curiosity and sort of your creative outlet.
2: I love the process over profits, process over profits
1: right. And that right there, that little statement, I think is a really powerful one that time in and time again, it's always proven itself as like the way to go. Like, it doesn't matter whether you're in healthcare tech consumer, it doesn't matter. Like anytime people do process over the profits first, everything sort of works itself out. Cause I think the other side of this is that success, however people define it, whether it's money, freedom, power, whatever it might be, success really these days is really a function of how many things you try. So somewhere in there is a compliment for you, but you know, when I think about pattern matching with the, the that I end up having to do on the investing side, this is really rare for the medicine or medical world. This might sound like a trick question, but you've you've been doing this now for I think you said 20, 20, some years now. If you had a time machine and you had to go back and talk to young Tony and say, hey man, this is what you should invest in, or here's what you should be doing now, like if you were to go back to your younger self, knowing what you know today, what what would you tell yourself about? how to start that practice, how to go to three or five locations, how would you get here? Would you do everything the same or what would you do different uh, if you could?
2: So if I was to take me 22 years ago and put me in today's economy and today's environment with today's technology, absolutely, hands down, the first thing I would say is I would prioritize the media aspect of what we do because we need a community, we need an audience. I need to speak to my tribe. You know, I'm a huge Seth Godin fan. So when we talk about pull versus push marketing and all of that, I tell new clinicians that are stepping into business today, before you do anything, Where are those clients going to come from? How are you going to communicate with those clients? How do you identify your ideal client, where they are, where they're spending their dollars, what's important to them, what drives them? You know, I talk about myself. I'm a 48-year-old male today. What drives me is my insecurities about looking like an old man, about looking inferior to where I was 20 years ago, about not being the ideal dad to my kids. You know, I want my kids to look up to me. I want them to see me as a strong male role model in their life. And so those insecurities, those are the buttons to push if somebody wants me to invest money in myself and, and do something. So where a long time ago, I thought the answer to a successful business was building a better mousetrap, was being a better clinician. And now I realize I need to be a good clinician. You can't be bad at what you do, but the real magic is an understanding, okay, who is the smallest slice of the community that I can help the most, who is big enough to support the vision that I have for where this business is going to go. And my different businesses have different visions. They have different communities that they serve. They're not all $10 million businesses. And I'm okay with that because they each serve a function.
1: By the way, I'll just make a comment that I appreciate you almost like sort of sharing that vulnerability too, because I think a lot of people talk about business as like, I don't know how to describe this, but a lot of people talk about it in the context of bravery and courage and all this stuff. And the the comment about the insecurities, I think is not only commendable, but I think it's actually more common than people are willing to admit publicly. Like I I always tell people, I actually operate out of fear, personally. I'm 42, I got four kids, you know, all that stuff. And I know somewhere out there is a young buck that's got his target on my back. <laughs> right <laughs> you know and so i i definitely think it's neat that you're you're willing to share that that sort of insecurity the other thing i think you said that was really fascinating that i think more people need to embrace is that i think that as we go into 2023 i mean we're recording this halfway more than halfway through 2023 now but i think in healthcare and almost every other industry right now you have to start thinking of yourselves as a media company that happens to do what you do It's not 2010 or or 1999 anymore where you could be an expert in any industry and then have a a LinkedIn intern or something like that. Marketing and media has to be built right into the fabric of the business because buyers are changing. I I don't know how to articulate this very well other than to say my my mom and dad are in their mid-70s now. And it's fascinating. 20 years ago when they were picking a doctor to go to, It really was about the credentials Oh well, you know, so-and-so went to that university. He's got to be good. And I'll just say, like, for example, my mom's having a um, a little knee surgery tomorrow. And in all the weeks getting ready for this, she was Googling the the surgeon who happens to have a small YouTube channel. And that's what gave, like, this is a 70-year-old, 73-year-old woman who's looking at this. And his media... She wasn't even listening to the words. Like, I, he was talking, like, very jargony, you know, here's his procedure, whatever. She was just, she was like, well, if he's got a YouTube channel, he's got to be legit. And my point is that you can't afford to sort of sleep on this anymore because, and I think Justin said this, Justin Stiver said this in his episode, the actual work itself is becoming a commodity. And I know that's kind of an offensive thing to say, but at the end of the day, like, in any competitive market, the work itself becomes the commodity and the brand becomes a differentiator. And I think the people that embrace that, particularly in healthcare sooner, are going to be the ones that win sort of that power law distribution. I don't know how else to explain it. It's kind of like I'm a runner. So when you go to the, the running shoe store and you look at the wall and you look at like Nike and Adidas and New Balance and all that. From a technology standpoint, they're kind of all the same. (laughs) But there's something that makes you pick, in my case, Nike over the other ones. Well, it just so happens that I've been wearing the Nike's Pegasus. I'm on 38 now, but like Nike Pegasus 16 when I was in high school. And that's just what I pick. And I, I think there's something fascinating about that. And I think whoever embraces that early in every medical discipline is going to get outsized returns
2: There are so many nuances around media and the way it rolls into what we do from one perspective. And this is something that I focus on a lot. We all understand reimbursement is declining, right? No problem. And I personally, I see the calls to write letters to your congressman and do all of these things, but I'm always going to put my energy where I feel like I can affect the most change. It's not going to be writing a letter to my congressman. It's going to be, okay, I identify the problem. I want to deliver this service. I want to deliver this kind of service, but I can't charge my client. I can't charge the insurance company enough to pay me what I need to deliver the patient care experience I want. That's the identified problem. Well, what are my options? Well, hey, there's YouTube. I started a YouTube channel. I mean, I started my channel in like 2009. It was dead for a decade. 2019, all of a sudden, one of my videos took notice and started gaining views. I was like, hey, there's something here. Now that YouTube channel not only pays me $15,000 to $20,000 a year, it also is my door into sponsorship opportunities and other revenue sources. And what I explain to clinicians is like, look, okay, I wanna treat a patient who maybe doesn't have the financial resources to pay me what I need to make this experience happen. But if I can use media to monetize that patient care experience in other ways, all of a sudden what would have been a 100 $150 reimbursement for an hour of my life with that patient now is something a digital asset that can generate revenue for a decade because a knee replacement isn't going to change that much in the next 10 years. When I look at media, one, I look at as alternative ways to monetize the services I'm already providing. Two. I look at it as the opportunity to build awareness and help people that are never going to get therapy services in my clinic or even in this country. I get messages from people all around the world who don't have access to services. Doesn't cost me anything to share my response that I gave to a patient in the clinic with the rest of the world community. And so it reduces the barriers, it democratizes access, it does all of these amazing things. And in the process as a carryover, I make way more money than I ever would in a conventional physical therapy clinic model that I would have used 20 years ago. But the idea is unfortunately, I see clinicians that are so bogged down, they're so busy, they're so head in the weeds, they don't even have time to to look above and see what other opportunities are out there. And so that's what drives me to be like, hey, just like I wanna share information about knee replacements with the patient community, I wanna share these ideas and these concepts with other therapists. And the funny thing is my wife, who was a therapist before I became a therapist, she told me, you have to become a therapist because therapists will not trust a non-therapist who's in charge or owns the business. And I see that every single day. So I do think that those two letters after my name, more than anything, buy me the credibility. It buys me a seat at the table so I can talk to other clinicians and be like, look, I'm doing what you're doing. I'm passionate just like you about what we do, but I want to introduce you to these new ideas. There are other ways to make this happen with the new technology and the new economy that we live in.
1: I definitely agree with you. But out of your out of curiosity, what's your instinct on this? Why why do um so many practice owners kind of ignore this? In my mind, maybe it's just because of how I'm wired and maybe it's how you're wired. This just seems rational to me. You know, it's it's like uh, hey, let's let's build your future, you know, that sort of thing. But I see these really smart practice owners just kind of look the other way and and maybe they do it under a veil of I'm too busy or whatever. I'm curious. Is there like a a reason? Like, is it because like these are abstract topics, you know, or something? Like, what? Why? Why do most practice owners, in your experience, ignore? tactics that you're putting out there the ideas that you're putting out there
2: i think like anything i think there's different kinds of practice owners right there's the owner operator the clinician that like me you're good at what you do you love what you do you're passionate about it you want to be able to do it your way and so you believe that starting your own business is your opportunity to treat patients the way you want to treat patients and so that takes top priority, you know? And even when I explain to clinicians, I'm like, hey, you want better outcomes? Take a marketing course, take a copywriting course, take a communications course. You're not gonna get better outcomes by learning more clinical care stuff because the margin for improvement is so thin. You already have 20 years of experience and pretty much know everything you need to know to treat the average patient. But you don't know how to sell it. You don't know how to bring their passion out and really help them embrace the outcome they're getting. So anyway, I think there's that aspect. I think it's just, they're more artists than scientists. They're more focused on the outcome and the patient in front of them. They just wanna make enough money to survive. And, and that's what they're doing. And they're kind of in that hamster wheel where they're making enough money to survive. They're making enough money to pay their bills, but they're not really thriving and they don't have the extra capacity of an extra two, three, 400,000 in the bank that would give them the freedom to do more. They're just stuck where they are. And then you have the other business owner that's like, well, and, and I face this all the time. I'm like, well, I can put this work in. I can do these things, but am I really going to make that much more money putting that time and effort into this business when I can turn around onto a digital business and make 300,000, 300, 3 million with virtually no risk, no liability, no employees? Like, there's so many other opportunities for a true business person at heart. That's where I go back to like the thing that keeps me in the profession is just my, my passion for treating patients, communicating, like connecting with the community. If I didn't have that, I wouldn't be here. You know, that's the reality because there are far bigger opportunities outside of healthcare. So, you know, I, I think that's what it is. And, and for the, the therapist, like my wife, I love my wife to death. Obviously, she's an amazing clinician, but you know, she came from a different time, a different economy, a different mindset. Like she was very systematic. I go to high school. I go to college. I get my degree. I start treating patients. I do my documentation. I, I've never been like that. Like all my life, I, I'll start and stop and, and jump in the middle and go on to all these like, shiny object syndrome like that is my mind versus i would say the more classic clinician they're the ones that are attracted to the profession and they're amazing and, and we need them we we we've built the profession and the success on them but we we have bigger opportunities that i think they could take part in too
1: it's interesting you made that comment about you know sort of this came from a different time and all that stuff and not, not to go sideways on this too much like i'm the child of immigrants classic immigrant, you know, ideology is, is go to school, become a doctor or a lawyer and dot, dot, dot. Somehow you'll be just fine. And I remember like when I was going through, I went to George Mason University and I remember going through the final years of engineering classes and stuff like that. I, and I don't, I, I just like to tinker with stuff, which is why I picked engineering over other things. But the point is, one of the things I couldn't reconcile was the fact that, at least in my experience, I might trigger some people here on this, but in my experience, Let's just use healthcare as a broad term. Healthcare is one of those industries where no matter how much extra experience you have, the reimbursement rate doesn't actually get better. It's like it's different than almost every other industry. Like a lawyer can probably charge a higher rate over time because more experience, bigger deals, whatever. But particularly as it relates to healthcare reimbursement. It's X dollars, whether you're two days out of medical school or 20 years out of medical school. And I just didn't know how to reconcile that. But that being said, that's why I think what you're saying is more important and more valuable is that people need to kind of understand that like healthcare is one of those those industries where if you're not actively building a larger brand, a bigger audience, that sort of thing, you're in this hamster wheel. I really like how you said that.
2: Going back to that and, and what you said about the more you know, the more you learn, the better you are. The, there is no change in reimbursement. I think these are conversations that need to be had. And that's why I started the YouTube channel, because I was like, I'm seeing stuff and maybe it's because I'm coming from an outside perspective, but it's like, okay, who's the customer? Right. Seems like such a simple question. And and most of the times when I ask a clinician who is the customer, the clinician will tell me it's the patient. And then I say, Okay, who's paying the bill? And they'll tell me the insurance company. I'm like, who gives you a 1099 at the end of the year? Oh, it's the insurance company also. Who makes a decision about what services are covered? Oh, it's the person paying the bill, of the insurance company. So that being said, I am probably the most pro-insurance company clinician you guys are gonna interview. I have nothing against insurance companies. They're simply financial financial tools, financial institutions, man. If we didn't have insurance companies, it would be an ugly scene on the healthcare front. I'm fine with that. And, you know, I I don't have anything against them. They're doing their job. They're doing what the consumer, the beneficiary hired them to do, which is negotiate the lowest reimbursement rate to provide the greatest access to medical services and mitigate risk. Awesome, that's what those guys are doing. The clinician that gets frustrated is the one that thinks, I am gonna deliver a better patient care experience to the patient who they think is their customer, but then i'm going to expect this insurance policy who basically is a a a volume buyer they're buying in bulk they're buying discount like you're giving the insurance company reduced rate because they are guaranteeing you payment they're reducing your risk as a clinician there's a lot of benefits to being in network with the insurance company but what nobody is talking about which drives me crazy there are rules and regulations around medicare so real quick not going down this too far If I'm a licensed physical therapist and I deliver what would have been a Medicare covered benefit to a Medicare beneficiary, I'm required by federal law to submit a claim to Medicare. There's all this discussion around cash-based and what you can do and what you can't do. But I'm like, okay, let's dive in. Let's look at these Medicare guidelines. What is actually a covered benefit? And I think what most cash-based clinicians would realize is what they're doing with their TPI certifications in golf and with their LSVT big certifications and Parkinson's and all these things, those aren't Medicare covered benefits. And if you even just stopped for a minute talking about your mom and the procedure she's going to have with her knee, if I asked your mom, mom, what are your goals? Why are you coming to therapy? What do you hope to do? And she tells me, I want to walk better. Okay, maybe it's a covered benefit under Medicare. But if she tells me I want to hike, I want to jog, I want to go, you know, walk on the beach, those aren't covered benefits. Those are recreational activities. None of that is required to be billed through Medicare. All of that is available as a cash-based service. But what clinicians tend to do is they say, I'm going to take this commodity. I'm going to market it as a commodity. I'm going to call it what everybody else calls it when it's covered by Medicare when it's really not a covered benefit, you know? And so back to media communication, getting that information out there to the clinician first and then to the patient second to say, hey, I'm here, you're a runner, I can help you run again. Your insurance company doesn't pay me to help you run again or run good and then run better. Those are all services that are available and and this is the pricing for it, you know? And the more people I help who can afford my cash rates, the more people I can help who can't afford my cash rates. But instead, everybody goes right to the bottom. They take the lowest possible reimbursement. They get drowned in referrals and they can't afford to really grow the business. Sorry, big tangent. But, you know, these are the things that not not enough people are talking about.
1: That's really interesting just hearing how you think about all that, because I think, and again, I'll just use myself. I'm the, I'm, I'm the second grader on the call here. But a lot of the conversations that I read about on these private Facebook groups and stuff like that almost every day sort of makes this discussion of cash-based versus insurance reimbursed, it's described or discussed as if it's a black and white issue. It's you are either one or the other. And I think the way you just articulated that is really more nuanced in the sense that neither side is bad. It's really more about what exactly are we trying to achieve here. And the thing I really, really agree with you on, though, is that really if you can as a clinician if you can really sell the outcome as opposed to like focusing on how it's paid or how whatever the point is is that that's really where you start to separate yourselves i remember again as an immigrant my dad uh you know we had a small bricklaying, like kind of you know, masonry construction company. And I remember as a teenager, like on the weekends, I had to go work with him out on the, on the job sites. And, you know, just like with any teen angst, you know, you're 15 years old, your buddies are screwing around on a Saturday and you're, you've got cement all over you. I remember one day I like kind of gave him some lip and I was like, dad, you know, he was paying me like 33 cents a brick. I still remember like at the end of the shift. I had to, like, measure out my area on the ground, and then he'd pay, literally pay me 30 And I, I remember in my teen angst, I was like, Dad, this is so dumb. Like, I know what you're charging these guys, and, like, I speak English better than you. I could totally do this. And I'll never forget. My dad turned around. He wasn't angry. He just said something to me. And at the moment, I was like, oh, that's dumb. And it took me, like, another 10 years to realize it. He said, what do you think I sold these people and I was like, of course, it's a patio. I'm not an idiot, dad. <laughs> and he goes, no. He said, son, you probably can sell them a patio. I sold them a place where they could make memories with their kids. And I never understood what that meant. I was like, that's dumb. And I left. But years later, I realized now it's what you're talking about. Because I would have gone in there and said, okay, well, you want these features or whatever? Okay, cool. Well, it's this many square feet. Oh, there's a surcharge if we got to go vertical, blah, blah, blah that's a race to the bottom in terms of price, regardless of where the money's coming from. And what he was saying was, is like, in hindsight, when he was doing the estimates, he wasn't asking what materials or whatever. He was saying, why do you even want a patio in the first place? And that subtle but really important difference is why he was charging so much. And that then he was able to profit and <laughs> pay me nothing to build it. <laughs> but the point is, though, is it really validates what you're talking about there, is that if you can get past the commodity and sell the dream or sell the emotion that they're really trying to buy, you build a moat around yourself. And I think not enough businesses think of that.
2: And that's a universal concept that applies in all business. You know, Taking what you just said, and, and when you asked me about 20 years ago to now, One of the other big things in this conversation between insurance, third party reimbursement versus cash is the hybrid model where and and this is one of the things that I share with my students. I'm like, look, guys, we know we can do so much more than just what the insurance covers. And historically, what would be done in the clinic is we would get a patient that wants to golf but they have Parkinson's and they're falling a couple times a week. And we would use golf performance as something as, as you know, the carrot on the, the the stick to get them to come and enjoy and do all of these things. But I'm like, why am I giving away the thing of the most value for the lowest paying customer, which is the insurance company, when they don't care what I'm giving them? So the modern practice, what are things looking like today? How do we marry this best value, best everything is that patient comes to you and, and you have the conversation your dad had with his clients, which is, what are we doing? Why are we here? Why did you come into therapy today? What, what do you really want to be able to achieve? And then they tell you, this is what I want. I'm out of shape. I'm overweight. I, I Everything hurts in the morning when I wake up. okay. Reasonably, let's say you have another 20 years of life ahead of you. This is where you are today. You're certainly not getting better. The trend is downward. So what I'm going to say to you is great news. Medicare will pay for today's evaluation. And based on my findings from the evaluation, you know, these are the things that I see these are the things that would be covered by the Medicare benefit policy manual. If you only want to receive these things, it's totally within your right to request. But I'm going to say you've been going down this path long enough. You're smart enough. You see what the future looks like. I think you need to sleep better. I think you need to eat better. I think you need to change the lifestyle. And now that you're in your mid sixties with another 20 years ahead, I think we can make that change happen. Now, here's the thing. Medicare or your insurance doesn't pay for those things. And you understand the insurance company is not about improving and optimizing your life. So this is what I recommend. The total package is $5,000. Medicare will cover 827 of those dollars, which is awesome. That gives you a huge discount on that. The remainder of that would be paid for by you. And this is what we would do. We would work on these things. We would work on these problem points that you've already identified, you know, is an issue for you. And I know, you know, it's not that somebody needs to tell you to eat better. You know, you need to eat better. It's you need the person who knows how to get you to do it. That's where the magic happens. And the $4,000 that you're going to pay out of pocket for this, I would ask you, what else are you going to do with that? Like it's sitting in your bank account. Are you going to put it in the market? Are you going to get a, a $400 a year? Like what that? what's that going to do 10 years from now when you can't get out of a chair at all? Let's put that money to work right now. I can't imagine a better investment than putting it into improving your functional capacity, your resilience, your ability to move in the world we live in. And then that potentially could lead into, you know, new businesses for you or recreation or the traveling that you told me you wanted to do. Your dream was to take your family on a trip, a cruise. You can't do that the way you are now, but I I guarantee if you put this time in for the next 12 months, you're gonna be a different person. So those are the conversations that I think clinicians should be having because now, like you said, you're not selling the commodity of three sets of 10 straight leg raise. You're selling the the experience and the the enjoyment of, hey, I worked 40 years. Now I wanna put that money to good use. I wanna experience life the way I dreamed of, not from inside a skilled nursing facility. And I think as clinicians understand, they can do that. They're allowed to do that. You can do covered benefit services alongside cash services. Don't just give away the 20 years of experience and all the time and money that clinicians pay in continuing eds and advanced education. Like that has value, huge value. Monetize that value the way it was intended. Everybody, patient does better. You do better. The community does better. I mean, it's a win-win all the way.
1: I don't mean any disrespect to anybody listening, but it's like the topics you're talking about sound revolutionary, <laughs> if you will, but they've been happening around us in almost every other industry for decades. It's like, I don't think anybody could disagree with me on this, but like, there's a reason why. So, so if we were not actually emotional beings that want to sleep better at night or look better or whatever, then there would be no differentiation really between a BMW and a Honda. Right. <laughs> right. right? No offense to either of those brands. I'm just saying, like, there's an emotion there that 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 justifies why we pay X for one and half of X for the other. It's interesting because as you talk about this, there's so many parallels. And yet, I'll talk to uh, practice owners every day, probably like you do, and and people are like, "I'm just too busy. I'm too this. I'm too that." I know we're probably. I want to be respectful of your time here, but. I think what's also fascinating here, we maybe let's maybe uh, I'd love you're not going to hurt my feelings on this. You can give me some live, you know, feedback here and shoot my ideas down. One of the things I notice quite often is that um, if a practice owner is doing any local marketing, which is a big if, but if they're doing that, regardless of whether it's a direct access state or not, if they're doing anything with that, it's typically they're throwing some budget at somebody's friend's kid who's good at Facebook marketing. Or on the other extreme, they're throwing three, four, five grand a month at, you know, one of, I won't name drop and hurt anybody's feelings, but one or two somewhat well-known marketing companies that sort of prey on these practice owners. And the thing I find offensive or repulsive about the whole thing is that, like, that behavior wouldn't last five seconds in the consumer internet world. Like, we've got so much transparency in the consumer internet world that, like, bad actors and, and shady middlemen wouldn't make it a minute but you know one of the and here's the now i'll get to the point point. one of the things that we've been toying around with is is like we've been building this distribution engine uh, you know and long story short it's like i actually think for most practice owners there's an important part that you just talked about which is the message how do you tell the message how do you sell the the outcome instead of the process that i can't help with because i've never been a practitioner right but what i can help with is this idea of distributing that message. Like, I think that for most practice owners in this country, if they could embrace what you were talking about there in terms of differentiating and selling on the outcome, I think that somewhere in the order of a 1000 to $2,000 a month of directed ad spend is really all that's necessary to dominate the landscape. Because the market is so fragmented, putting aside how we deliver that, I'm curious, gut reaction, good, bad, or indifferent, you can totally make fun of me on the show here. It's okay. No, no, I
2: I totally agree. And I'm going to use myself as like the quintessential, you know, reason why I don't see that happening more. I've heard you say scarcity mindset in so many other videos previously. I know myself and I've got great friends who are amazing at Facebook ads and Google ads and, and all of these different engagement tools. And I'm like, you want me to put a thousand dollars into a digital ad platform where first I still have to sell, which I feel sleazy, air quotes, selling. You know, I, I can give you a thousand reasons why it's not going to work. It's ineffective. All of these things because I'm still stuck in 2000. 2005. I'm still stuck back in the day where I would throw, you know, a thousand dollars on a newspaper ad that didn't generate anything. I would do a, a, um, put an ad on the back of a church bulletin, didn't do anything. High school programs didn't do anything. So I've got failure after failure after failure. It's just like the person who's got 20 pounds of extra weight on their body. They've tried every diet imaginable. They fail, 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 fail. And then you come along saying, I've got the solution for you to lose that 20 pounds. It's the same thing. I've been beat down so many times, I can't imagine putting that money into something. And I'm gonna say, the profit margins now, I don't hear too many people say it. Like I look at US physical therapy, public you know, numbers, I look at ATI, I look at profit margins, I look at other companies and I try to benchmark against them. I see your therapist that'll tell me, Oh, I've got a 20%, 23% profit margin. I'm like, do you really? Because I have a feeling if you had to hire someone to do everything that you're doing as the owner operator, you're running a negative. You're probably losing money on that business if you really ran it like a business. And so when I look at, you know, a thousand or two thousand, I don't see the opportunity in the clinic with the conventional model where they're scraping by on pennies of profit to afford a thousand or two thousand plus. They can't hire clinicians. So that's a huge problem. You know, there, there are a couple people that I know that now are focusing on, okay, before we do marketing for a clinic, Let's do some um, recruitment for the clinic. Let's get therapists in the clinic so that when we do market and we do bring patients in, they have somebody who can treat these patients. Unfortunately, a lot of the business owner, clinic owners, they're not good business people. They weren't trained to be good (laughs) business people. They're not good leaders. They want people. I remember 20 years ago, I thought I was going to hire a therapist and the therapist was going to do things my way because I was the business owner and I knew the formula and I knew what they needed to do. You can't do that. Like in today's economy, a therapist is not a technician. A therapist is not going to come and punch out, lay bricks. And the more bricks they lay, the more money they make. That is not what a therapist is today. So I kind of the new business, you know, I'm here to support the clinician. I've got therapists that do things that I would never in a million years do. I don't agree with it clinically, but their patients have good outcomes. I'm not going to step on their toes. They are professionals. I'm going to respect their professionalism. So I think those are the barriers, you know, where in your world, and I listen to your world through YouTube, you talk in numbers of thousands and tens of thousands, and and you see, you know, the return because of scalability. But I think at least in, in the typical private practice owner, they're like, I don't have staff, I don't have this, I don't have that. It's this very scarcity mindset situation. And they're like, you know what? I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing. I'm gonna put my head down. I'm gonna try to squeeze more patients onto the schedule and you know, that's it. So I love it. I I genuinely think you're right. I genuinely think it's the right direction. I think you're just trying to overcome a tidal wave of momentum that is taking them in the other direction. But the question is, can we get the new grads? Can we get the young clinicians? Can we get the the next generation to embrace and understand, oh, I can build a personal brand. Oh, I can put some money behind boosting content and getting it out there. And now all of a sudden I'm kind of the celebrity therapist, even if it's just in my little zip code. Like, I think there's huge value there.
1: Massive value there. I mean, I think this might be a, another episode entirely, but I think that, uh, personal brand now is more important than any ever. I mean, in in the, just in the interest of time, the, the cliche example that I always use is think of newscasters. When Katie Corrick moved from NBC to CBS a couple of years ago, she didn't negotiate like normal people. Normal people are like, hi, I'm looking for a new job. What is, oh, salary.com says the upper band is X. Gosh, wouldn't it be nice if I got that? People with brands don't act that way. People, K- Katie didn't go in there and say, "Hey, CVS, will you pay me five thousand dollars an episode more?" She's like, "Look, I got fifteen million daily visit, uh, viewers. How much is that worth to you?" <laughs> and I know it's like not fun to talk about, but this is what Kim Kardashian and and uh, Nick Bear from Bear Performance do. I mean, all these like that's the thing is that our buyers are different now. Buying behavior, like I'll I'll kind of share inside the kimono here. You know, what's interesting, because you, you said earlier, I think is, so, by the way, I love your vulnerability. This is so amazing, because most people are like, I'm crushing it. <laughs> and you're like, hey, this is what I'm worried about. Uh, you said that your mentality was sort of back from 2000, you know, when you think about how media works, right? So I'm, I'm a year into Strata now. And one of the interesting things about our numbers is, is that if you look at, like, what we do at Strata is not one of the things you buy overnight. You know, we're not good for everybody. You don't just buy this on a Tuesday. This is one of those things where you kind of, it takes a while, right? So if you were to look at our statistics in terms of attribution, something like 75% of demo requests every day, the last thing they did right before they asked for the demo is search for us. They literally will search for the name and then they look at it. Now, if you look at that just at face value, you're probably like, oh, SEO, search engine optimization. You should totally invest in more SEO. That's where the strategy fails for most people is when you realize that like that would be the wrong choice. Because then when you really start to dig into it, the reality is that we think of media as top of funnel. And, you know, really you just give, 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 give away, give so much that people say, holy cow, how can they afford to give this away? Because at the end of the day, when they're ready to buy, they're going to just search the name and buy it. And I'm not saying, I will admit openly, we are not geniuses. I'm kind of stealing. I'm kind of plagiarizing because I think our business is just like your business and everybody else's business. It's kind of like the real estate world. You know, I've bought and sold four or five homes in my adult life now, and I just always use the same guy, this guy named Kevin. I just use Kevin, but it just so happens that Kevin, I talk to every three or four years to sell a home. He sends me magnets, I know this sounds crazy, He just sends me magnets with the local poison control number. His marketing is incredible. It's like a one-man thing. When I was not married, he's got a system. When I was not married, the magnets he would send me were like the local sports team calendars. Like He was clearly targeting my affinities. And then the minute I had my first kid, everything changed to poison control, the local high school football calendar, whatever. And what he's done from a psychology standpoint Is he's just made sure that like he he knows, even if he doesn't admit it, he knows that he's a commodity, a realtor is a realtor is a realtor, and he knows that he's only going to get the business if his face and his name is in the mental selection set. That minute that my wife and I are sitting at the dinner table one night thinking, "Do you think we could sell the home?" And to me, that's a lot. That's so similar to like our business and even even you know healthcare professionals it's the same thing like if my shoulder is hurting i'm not thinking in my head oh i'm always gonna go to tony because i don't think about my shoulder until it hurts and then when it hurts it's like god who's available oh man tony's the expert i just saw on youtube one of his videos about this i'm like i want to throw a ball with my boys uh and he's been talking about that outcome tony's the guy
2: Going back to your question about 20 years ago versus today, 20 years ago, the reason why we named the company Total Therapy Solutions was because we wanted it to be as generic as possible. We wanted to open every opportunity. We we never, ever, ever wanted a physician sending a patient to Tony or Kathy or anybody on the team. We wanted it going to the company. Today, every piece of media we put out, it's branded by me. It's all about me. Now, I see a very small fraction of the patients that come into the clinic, but they have the patients coming in have the trust. They understand who I am. They understand what they're going to get, what to expect, what makes us different, and you know, all those kinds of things. I just shared a post on my Facebook feed where I said, I think a huge opportunity is for somebody to take therapists— and make an agency like you would an athlete, or a musician, or an actor, and just brand the heck out of somebody. We see those therapists that have the it factor. We know we can turn them into celebrities. They're trying to do it, but they should have an agent. That agent should take them and turn them into huge brands, brands by name. They would get product endorsements. They could get any job they want. They could work anytime they want, see anybody they want. That's not around yet. There are so many opportunities. Everybody's talking about the problems with healthcare. I see far more opportunities than I see roadblocks in our way. It's just moving away. You know, Albert Einstein, you can't expect to do the same thing and get a different result. That's what we've been doing. We need to just look outside, look at what you guys are doing in technology, look at what other professions are doing. I never listen to business advice from therapists. I listen to business advice. I look at Alex Hermosi. I watch my first million podcasts. Like there are so many great people to surround yourself with, to get inside your head and really break those preconceived notions of what we should be doing. So all the stuff you're saying, I mean, you're like I said, you're beating my drum.
1: I love the way you just said that. We'll have to pick that up on the next episode. But I think, you know, one of the comments we always say in the investor world is that the niches get all the riches. Yeah. Right. And I know that sounds kind of like, you know, cheesy, whatever, but you're absolutely right. It's like pick the niche and dominate it because that's that's the power of technology now is it like, and I, I, I'm just going to use a bad example here, but like, you know, 50 years ago for you to be massive, however you want to define that, you needed a billion dollar budget because, you had to blanket all the newspaper ads, blanket all the TV and radio ads and hope that through volume and spray and pray, you find those clients that, that like you. And I think where we are now is that through tools like Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, whatever, whatever the platform is du jour of your clients, Go deep. You know, in your case, it could be knees. It could be shoulders. It could be uh, carrying kids up and down without, you know, grunting. It could be anything, but just own the niche, dominate the the content around that, and let the numbers work themselves out. That sounds deceivingly simple, but I think that's, uh, that agency, if you start that agency, I'm investing in it, please. <laughs> <You>
2: got
1: it. <laughs> so, I know I've taken a lot of your time. Is there anything you want to? T- I want to get you back on here monthly if you're up for. We we'll can talk about that after. But anything else we're forgetting to ask you, or things you want to talk about that people should be hearing about?
2: No, I just think it's great that there there's groups like you guys, Strata PT, and you know you you're really coming at solving problems for clinicians you're providing a way for clinicians to do what they do best. And so I love to see you guys coming out. I mean, I've known forever that anything Adam and Kim are behind is going to be successful. I was just talking to somebody who's joining your platform. And that's what I told her. I was like, look, I I don't honestly know what these guys are doing these days. But I know that anything with them behind the wheel is going to be a success. And they're going to muscle their way through any problems that might arise so you know to see you join the team and and see where you guys are going with this it's exciting I'm, i'm happy to be part of a monthly segment or whatever you guys see fit i appreciate it
1: man this is this is great
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Strata Stories. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com.